and we don't want to be halfway into the middle of it. Stand with me. We want to read some uh, scripture. You've read it before, but I think maybe it might be nice if we would just read again. Third chapter of 1 Corinthians 9 verse down to an including verse 17. We are laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, Paul writing this, as the wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another man buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if a man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, head, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. We want to end with that, because that is a challenge to every one of us to check our lives. Father, we thank you tonight for the preservation of your written word. We thank you because you loved us so much and you allowed it to be handed down to us today in this generation. Might we welcome the words into our heart and into our life. May we not resist them, but accept them. And let the word of God sink deep within our heart. Ask that we might be acceptable in your sight when you call for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated and we appreciate you standing. Last Thursday night, we told you about entering into the First Corinthians with full intention of just reading the Word with no thought of anything about a message, and you minister don't get a chance to do this much. And we got down to the 16th verse after the Apostle Paul had talked to the Corinthians about their carnal state that prevented spiritual growth, and about the service and reward of Christianity, and about being laborers together and the kinds of ministry and their results. And we let you know that there are two kinds of ministry, some that is going to stand, others is not. And then it seems as if he leaves off at the 15th verse and asks a question that I think deserves an answer. And the Lord evidently thought it deserved an answer because he just simply pulled at my coattail, so to speak, and asked me to sit there a little while. He wanted to speak to me. And some of the things that I will relate to you tonight, related to you last Thursday night, is some of the things he challenged me with. To begin with, he said, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the temple, or that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And then he asked me, Do you really know what it means to be the temple of God? Do you actually have the foggiest notion? And I said, thought I did. My answer was, yes, Lord, I believe that I understand at least in a portion what it means to be the temple of God. And then he challenged me and said, you can never understand what it means to be the temple of God, whether it's collectively as a church or as an individual, without searching out what the old temple represented, what it means. And sometimes we throw the Old Testament away as if it means nothing, but they were types and examples in the Old yes, Testament yes. Leading, leading us up to what we have today. Hebrews says better, a better temple, a better sacrifice, a better high priest, and what have you. Did not eliminate, but brought something better. And he began to take me back into the Old Testament and searching out some of the things that the temple of God meant to the children of Israel and what it was. And I just want to list hurriedly some of the points that I covered last Thursday night uh, collectively as a church. The temple, old temple, was erected under divine direction to express the thoughts of God and the purpose of God. 
And knowing that, then we ought to realize that if we are the temple of God then today, we are to express his thoughts and his purpose. Like I said, if we don't know the thoughts of God, we cannot express them. If we don't know what God's purpose is, well, then we can't express his purpose either. So it behooves the body of Christ, the church of the living God, whether it be uh, a church like this, an uh, active group of people, or whether it be collectively as a whole, it behooves the church of God to find out what God thinks. Yes. What does God think about what's going on today? What does God think, think about homosexuality? What does God think about immorality? What does God think about the uh, carnal state of Christianity in this day and hour? What, what is the purpose of God for the church here? Are we just to come as a church or be a church? We just come and maybe feel a goosebump or two and go down our spine and God comes and, and explicitly talks to us and then that's all? Or do we have a purpose further than that? We have a divine purpose and of course that is to seek the lost and to let the world know around us that we are called out people, people called according to his purpose. The old temple was erected for the glory of God. God was the supreme object. Anytime anything or anyone else tried to take the place of God, well, then they met with disaster. And the same thing today in a church, whether it's worldwide, collectively, or just uh, a local group, God should be the divine object of worship. No man should uh, take his place. No man should attempt to do that. God is the supreme object of worship in the church and should be. The church was a temple was erected for the welfare of men or to be used for the good of men. I wrote down a thought here that I feel like that God really spoke to me. He said the worship of the church is likely to be a mockery if the church is not doing her job. What I mean by that is we can come and we can worship God, we can lift up holy hands to God, uh, we can honor Him, we can feel good, we can clap our hands, we can sing, but if we go out of here and don't do our work, then that worship, as far as God's concerned, is a mockery. We might feel good about it, but I doubt very seriously that God feels good about it. And it seems to me as if churches have almost eliminated God from their worship and from their work. It's easy for us to come together sometimes and worship. But friend, let's don't let our worship tonight turn out to be a mockery. When we leave here, let's put into practice what God says to us. Now, God is trying to build personal character as well as character collectively for his church. And he will do it if we will let him. But we have to let him build character in our lives. We dare not, should not, want to go down the years without allowing God to change something in our lives. We need a change in our life. Yes. First of all, we need to know what that change is, what God desires out of us, and then we need to realize He is expecting that out of us. It's not an option. No. It is a command. And yes. We ought to realize that. And uh, that's what the church is erected for collectively, as a body, local, or worldwide, it simply is to tell people about the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It is not just to tell them, it is to live a life so they can see the saving right. grace of the Lord Jesus right. Christ, activated in our own lives, yeah. to see a change in our life, to know that we are different, that we are separate, we are peculiar people. The world needs to see this in us. If it doesn't see this in us, why then the work of the church has simply been in vain. All our worship, all our honor, so to speak, we have given to God has been in vain. And as far as God is concerned, it has been a mockery. Now, if we sit here and we listen to some of the things God is demanding in just a few minutes of us individually, and it strikes a chord in our life, and then we think, well, God's just merciful God, and you'll just go ahead and and uh, don't require that of me, and go out and not try to do anything with that in our lives, then our worship, as far as God is concerned, has been a mockery to him. We have worshipped him, adored him, counted him as our king, counted him as our Lord, and yet we go outside those doors and count ourselves as our own Lord, do the things that we want to do. And not only that, but it was set apart for God, that it was God's own possession. 
temple of God was God's. Man builded it, but it was God's, and that's what the church is. It's God's own possession. It does not, it does not belong to a denomination. It does not belong to a group of people. It does not belong to a minister. It belongs to God. God's Amen. church is His. Holy, and He's a jealous God. Yes. yes. Amen. He's a jealous God. And he don't like anybody else trying to take possession of what's set apart by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for him exclusively. Right. He says, it's mine and I'm jealous over it. Right. And the old temple was an object of beauty. I, I don't know if I can imagine what it was like, but it was clothed in beauty. The eyes that looked upon it, uh, whether they become a part of it or not, it could either in it or not, could not help but see the beauty of the old temple. And the beauty of holiness should clothe the church just like that. Amen. Whether individuals out here in this world want to become a part of the church or not, it ought to strike a chord in their life as they see the beauty of holiness shining out through the church of the living God and showing there is a difference. And the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ has changed us longer on when we are bought with a price. In the old temple there was a variety of parts in the old temple just like there's a variety of ministers as far as collective of the church is concerned. Variety of parts and we won't elaborate much on that until later and there cannot be too much variety in the church nor can they be too much oneness. Amen. You see it's a paradox there but there can't be too much variety but it ought to all come together in one object of worship, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Each one fulfilling his commission in Jesus Christ. So you have a right of ministry, all working for the same purpose, all doing the same thing for the same God, for the same world. And it was the dwelling place of God. You see, the church's joy, our joy, it's not that Brother Paul is here. It's not that Sister Jackie is here. It's not that I'm behind the pulpit. But, but the church's joy ought to be that God is in her being. Amen. That God is here. At any time, yes. a congregation is destitute of God in their life and in their midst, something is wrong. And we ought to try to conduct uh, an investigation to try to find out what's wrong wow. in our midst because wow. we're destitute without God. There's no joy in our lives individually or collectively, unless we know God is in our midst. And I'll never forget that the thing that God spoke to Victory Temple in Mount Vernon when they were so disposed as to what they were going to do, and God spoke exclusively to them and said, when you come in, look around and count two, and at the most three. And if you see two there or three there, Remember my words, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of her. Amen. And if we can do this, it'll solve our problems. Yes. Because primary concern is Jesus Christ. If we get Him in our midst, Him in our life, we don't have to worry about empty pews or empty seats. Amen. God will take care of that. Amen. After all, that's His problem anyway, our problem is to get the joy of salvation in our life and in the Amen. church. And from the temple, worship arose. Singers sang, musicians played, and they opened up and read the scroll, and then they were challenged in all uh, of these things. And so it is for the church. It ought to be sanctuary worship, and worship in our business, and worship in our recreation, and worship throughout all of our life. Worship even in the midst of adverse circumstances, God help me to know this. Help me to get this inside, throw my hands up, and say thank God anyway because of the power of God. Amen. Worship in adverse circumstances. And last but not least, in the old temple, there was always a sacrifice. The temple would have been offensive to God without the sacrifice. And when the church loses, sight of the cross, which is the supreme sacrifice, thank God, that's needed when she loses sight of the cross, she loses God. In every Christian community, in every Christian church, regardless of what name is on the door, it must have a Calvary. It must have Christ crucified, the hope of glory. It must always have Him centrally 
located in our thoughts, chief and predominant and central in our worship. If we forget the cross, we forgot it all. It begins at the cross of Calvary. And we need to understand that. The blood has been taken out of songbooks, understand. They want to take it out of the Bible. It's a bloody religion. But when you do that, you lose God. And sometimes we forget also that not only was there a sacrifice by Jesus Christ, but he demands a sacrifice out of us. And when we do not present him that sacrifice, it is offensive to him. Right. When we come together collectively and do not offer our body, church body, so to speak, collectively as a living sacrifice to him to promote godliness, to promote honesty, to promote morality, to promote truth, then it becomes an offense Amen. to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Like I said, it's easy to come into the house of God, sing songs, worship God, and all this, and lose sight of the fact that you are the temple of God. Amen. The of God dwelleth in you. Hallelujah. When we come together, we're formulating, so to speak, a representative body. We're not all the body, but a representative body. We fulfill our place in the community. Amen. And we need to recognize that, that God just does not just throw a bunch of bricks together and call it a building. Neither does God bring a bunch of people together and call it a church. We have to be saved and sanctified, filled with His presence, setting a body as it pleases Him, operating in the place we ought to operate in and become the type of Christian we ought to become. And then God moves us together, moves us together, and makes us a collective body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It says, now, after you have become that, you can do a work in the community. Right. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. Yes, yes. All right. Amen. Now then, that's collectively. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty now on what is the temple of God? What does it mean to be the temple of God in the region? Oh, you see, he says, we are the temple of God, and that's the dual meaning, collectively as a church. But then he looks at us and says, your body, this is the temple, that's where I dwell. That's where I live. And you see here we're God's temple. He tells us that. He dwells in us. I wonder if we realize what a truth this is. What a commitment that God made to us on that day when he said, I will dwell in you. I will be in you. I won't be above you or around you or under you. I'm going to be in you. Hallelujah. Thank God. I just wonder if we know what a truth. God who created the universe and filled all of the universe, created all things, and yet become so small he desired to dwell in humanity. Amen. Came and said, I want to occupy a throne. I want to set it up. I want you to be my dwelling place. And I want you, Sister Jackie, I want you to be my temple. Right. I want you to be a place of beauty, a place of holiness, a place for an advancement of the kingdom of God. You see, God tells us that we are holy. Not with our own holiness, not with our own self-righteousness, but we are holy. You know what made the old temple holy? Because Jehovah God dwelled there. Amen. That's a kind of glory of God was there. It was just stone and bricks and nothing else. And you are just bone and flesh. No holiness about you unless God dwells inside. That's what makes yes. you holy. Yes. Come on. That's what makes you set apart, thank God. And we're consecrated to Him and to Him alone. I wonder if we can get the gist of what God is demanding, of what God is trying to say. Now, notice He is a jealous God. Now, you keep that first and foremost. He's probably as jealous about his dwelling place as I am about my home. I don't want anybody coming in defiling it. I don't want anybody coming in messing it up. I'm jealous over it. It may not be much, but it's all of God, and I like it, and I'm jealous over it, and God is the same way. He wants to dwell there. He wants to live there. He wants it set up under his rules and regulations and under his laws. And he don't want anybody else's laws ruling his house. Amen. I don't want some uh, some individual outside coming into my house 
and trying to set up his rules and regulations. I feel like that it's my house, that I rule my house, I'm the master of my house, and I ought to be able to set my house in order. And if I feel that way, as a human, what do you think God feels like as divine God? On, he amen. chooses you, says, I'm going to live there. I want my rules and regulations in my house. Right. When I call you to suffer to eat, I want you to come. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Uh, when I discipline you because you don't do some of those things, I want you to know it's for your good. Right. When I paint you up a little bit, clean you up a little bit, I want you to know it's because I like you. I like where I'm dwelling. Amen. And I want you just as pretty inside as you are outside. Glory. <laughs> Hallelujah. A lot of people put a lot of effort on the inside, and they forget that it has to shine on the outside. Amen. And we need to realize that we're holy, consecrated to Him alone. You'll notice in the Old Testament, none but the Israelites could tread the outer court. Now, in other words, the world just simply had no part. The Gentiles, the heathens, simply had no part of the temple, they could not even tread the outer court there. And none but the priests could serve in the holy place, and none but the high priest could enter into the holy of holies. And just like that temple was set apart for God, set apart for His laws, set apart for His commandments, set apart so that the Gentiles could see that Israel was a peculiar people, Amen. that they was not like them, they didn't have a million gods, they just had Jehovah God, right. and they worshipped Him, and God was their God. Amen. Sure did. But Amen. you see, we're holy. We're set apart for God. Not set apart to do our own thing, but we're set apart for God and for His service. Come on. To be useful to God. To be used by God. Sometimes he asks some things out of us that we're not willing to give. You see, we're not a public street or a common place that the world can just use as it likes. We should not just invite anything inside to dominate our life. We're a sacred enclosure. Amen. In other words, God has chosen us out just like the temple of old. Sacred enclosure. The world has no right trampling inside the temple of God, which is you and I individually. Right. Evil thoughts, undone conditions, have no part or lot inside of him. Envy, malice, hatred, strife, the things that rule us so much in the carnal mind and the natural mind has no right in there. We are not a public street. We're not someplace where the world can just walk in and dominate and do as he pleases. We are God's temple devoted for God's use. Yes, yes. Have you ever thought it means something to be the temple of God because you're devoted for God? That's he, He's going to use you. You see, we are just like the Old Testament temple. Body, soul, and spirit corresponding to the three divisions of the ancient tabernacle. There was the outer court where the sacrifice and washing was done, which representative of our body. And then there was the holy place where the altar and incense and candlesticks and shoe bread, uh, which is concerning our mind, our, our, our soul, so to speak. And then there's a holy of holies, which is the spirit, where God dwells, where the Ark of the Covenant is, where the laws are laid down and placed in there, and where, uh, where the manna is there, and the tables and tablets of the law is placed inside, and it's placed in our spirit. So you see, we have... Uh, three divisions. We have the body which has to be cleansed. We have the mind which has to be receptive to God. We have the spirit which needs to store the tablets of the law in, of God in our own life. And that's what makes us the temple of God. But have you ever happened to think we're individual temples? Right. And that's something to be proud of. But God entreats us to come together in a local body. Now, have you ever wondered if I'm the temple of God and he chooses to dwell in me individually, why then does he invite us to come together and form a local body, which he calls the church or collectively his body? There's a reason for that. I'm sure it becomes simple if you don't already know it, regardless of how full of the Holy Ghost that you can become. 
how full you can get, you cannot contain all of God. That's right. I believe you know that. Amen. You cannot contain all of God. Just a portion of that great omnipresent spirit indwells you. That's as much as you can get. If you'll even notice Jesus in his flesh could not, he was God veiled in the flesh, but he could not contain all of God. Mm -hmm. He was the fullness of the Godhead bodily that dwelled in him, but he was not containing all of God. He was filled, in other words, all the Spirit of God that flesh could contain was in Jesus. Now, if you can think of that, and how much more powerful we are, each with a portion of God's Spirit, when we are gathered together locally. Imagine filled with God's Spirit as much as I can contain, filled with God's Spirit as much as you can contain. I don't know how many of us there is here, but imagine coming together collectively as a body, being utilized by God's presence. Can you imagine the dynamic power that a church could have if we could find the unity of all of this? Amen. Think about it sometimes, how powerful, when you're the un under the influence of the Holy Ghost, having dwells your life, how powerful you are alone against the powers of the devil once you consider what indwells you and once you utilize what's there. How much more? And then imagine, imagine the whole entire church world. Imagine, no wonder the devil fights as hard as he does to keep division and disunity among God's people. He knows that if the church ever recognizes her potential and ever recognizing her power, she can walk through this world demanding and commanding and getting what God said was actually ours. Amen. Well, glory. Fragmented and splintered, divided with almost everything else in the world. Friend, it cannot will never be able to accomplish the divine purpose of God in that manner. There has to be a coming together of God's people. People right. that are willing to be submissive to God. People that actually stop long enough to ask, what does it mean for me to be the temple of God? Of what purpose is He indwelling me? Just to make me feel good? Just make me speak in tongues once in a while? Just to make me dance and shout? That's not the purpose. That's not why God fills you. He said, ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Yes. And then you'll be witnesses quiet to show where lost and died and salvation is still a reality. Friend, listen, revival is still possible in the world today. Old-fashioned Holy Ghost revival that changes the nature of man and the fiber of communities and the world is still possible if we can realize who we are and what we're supposed to do. Hallelujah. Glory. Possible. Not probable, but possible. It can happen and we need some way to realize that it can. What could stand before the church? Well, I think Revelation tells you that nothing can once it comes to fruition, and it's going to. Now, whether I'm a part of it or somebody else is a part of it or not, you see, God's getting tired of, of uh, all this namby-pamby and all this willy-nilly stuff that's going on and people playing their own games and doing their own things. He's beginning to... if it don't want to be changed. Jesus Christ walked the shores of Galilee three years and a half, filled and anointed by the power of God, and he did not change every life because they didn't want to be changed. That's right. But every life that wanted to be changed <laughs> was changed by his power. The deaf man wanted to hear, he could hear. The leper wanted to be cleansed, he could be cleansed. The blind man wanted to have his eyes open, could have his eyes open. So it was in the church of God when it was first established what people wanted then God was able to supply. In the construction of the temple 
Bible says that it was made, built without the sound of a hammer. It was placed together in the silence of God. God hewed it out. Then God placed it together. And God has taken our lives individually, hewed us out, gave us a portion. You see, God himself began laying the foundation of the church when he raised Jesus from the dead. What people despised, what he accepted, and what men slew, he quickened. And this Christ then become head of the corner. He was the headstone of the corner. He purposed them to build a foundation. The Bible says he was a tried stone, thoroughly tested and proven sufficient to do the job. And then not only Paul, but we'll use him as an example, Paul comes along because he says, as a wise master builder, he wasn't bragging on himself, he was bragging on God because God had given him the blueprint. God had told him what he wanted in his church. You see, of all the writing of the church, the Apostle Paul was the only one, seems like, that not only brought him to birth, but he uh, laid down laws that would bring him to fruition. And Paul says, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation in this, the Corinthian church. You see, Paul had made known Jesus. He told him about Jesus crucified, Jesus rose again, and he taught the church to rest on Jesus. Paul knew that there was going to come times just like he was talking about times in which a church that was placed together under the power of God would splinter into fragments and the enemy would come in and move and see clothing and even people raise up out of their own congregation there and, and go against what God had laid the foundation. Paul knew this. But he had taught these people, rest on God. Rest on God. And I think if there ever was a message that ought to enter into our lives today, rest on God. Believe what God has said. He that is able to bring you in is able to take you out. Yes. You need to realize yes. that. Believe in Him, Paul was saying. He, he said, forget the circumstances. Don't even look at the circumstances. I've laid a foundation. I'm building it there. I want you to follow Jesus Christ. And he also said, follow me as I follow Christ. Yes. When humanity quits following Christ, then we need to quit following humanity. Right. You see... Uh, uh, Apollos was very eloquent and uh, he came along after Paul had laid the foundation at Corinth and he came along and began to speak there. His mannerism was far different than the Apostle Paul. Paul was just crude and right to the point and, and maybe a little hard-headed like most of us preachers are and he just laid it out the way it was and he, he, he didn't uh, tiptoe around the tulip. But uh, Paulus was eloquent, eloquent in his speech and, and in his ways, nothing like Paul at all. And so after uh, uh, Paulus came and preached after Paul had left, a party formed and called himself under the name of Apollos, saying, I'm Apollos. But Paul never blamed this eloquent preacher at all. He didn't worry about that, and he didn't show the least amount of jealousy at all of the influence this man had. You see, Paul said, any builder is welcome to continue my work I'd enter into my labor, provided he does not disturb my foundation. Amen. I want that foundation. I laid it under the leadership of God, and I laid that foundation, and you can't improve on it. You can't improve upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself right. being the chief cornerstone. Right. You can't do a thing with that. It's laid, and, mm -hmm. and Apollos knew that. And so he comes in to build upon that, and Paul didn't care. He just said, now you take heed how you build on it. Right. You be careful what type of blocks you put in that building because it's a good foundation. You see, the duty of the builders is first to gather men. They may be dead stones and what have you, but bring them to Christ and, and get them together alive and then build them together in love and in fellowship and Amen. in faith. You see, you cannot regulate love. You just can't do it. You see, our nation has tried to do that, and it's failed. It's tried to make us love, uh, and, you know, humanity can't get over prejudice unless it learns to love like Jesus loved. That's right. You see, Paul planted, he says that, Apollos watered, but the church of Corinth was not their husband. It was not theirs. It was God's. And some way, God help me, some way, somehow, let the churches today 
get to that final revelation that the church don't belong to man, it belongs to God. It is here. And if we can get that inside of us and believe that, we can march into this world of sin and blackness and make a mark on it. Come on. Come on. It was so then, and it's so now, except the Lord build a house. Right. They labor in vain, the Amen. All the man's efforts are of no value at all unless you get your lumber from God. Amen. Unless you get your blocks from God. Unless you let him search out the timber, you can build a beautiful Ephesus. You can have stained glass, glass windows. You can have a hundred boys choir and all the music you want to, friend. But unless God has built it up and His Spirit is there, all it is is just an empty building that fills humanity and that's all. But friend, listen, God wants to fill us. He has filled us. He's desirous that we understand Amen. who we are in hell. Know you not that ye are the temple of God? Don't you know he's telling these Corinthians with all of this stuff you've got in you and that's going on among you, don't you know that you're where God dwells? Don't you understand this? Come on. And that the Spirit of Christ dwelleth in you? Don't you know that? Don't you understand what it means for God to condescend and come down and enter into the heart of you and dwell in you? Don't you understand the holiness of that. Don't you understand the responsibility of housing God? Come on. Come on. Do you understand that? What it means to house God. Having to dwell there. The characteristics of the temple were simply holiness. Holiness becometh thine house forever, as Psalmist David said. The temple was built by Solomon and was wholly or separated for his use, God's use. Now the temple is spiritual. We know that. And its holiness is its attraction. You corrupt the character of you individually, of the body collective, and if you degrade the purity of the church, you destroy its beauty. Right. You destroy what God wanted the world to see, the beauty of holiness through you as an individual. Don't corrupt the character. Don't defile the inner man. Don't degrade the purity of the church. Realize that you are set there, that this is a position, a glorious position. And realize that God does demand of you. The holiness of the church is produced by the Holy Ghost. Nobody denies that. But it's also maintained by the Holy Ghost. I mean, if the Holy Ghost is just good enough to produce something in me and can't maintain me, there's something wrong with my Holy Ghost. Right. I'm going to say this, there's something wrong with our experience with God if it can only introduce us to God. There's something wrong with it. Because that same power that introduces us to God can maintain us through thick and thin, through dark places, through valleys of the shadow of death. It will maintain us and keep us. Come on. Oh, we may not shout all the time, but we know we've got something solid to come down on. We need to keep that in mind. Maintained by the Holy Ghost. Maintained by it. Now, I, I can remember the time when when the, the holiness of, of the church came in. in. In other words, His holiness attracted me and the power of God came into my life. And, and the, man, you know, I couldn't see any bad in anybody. And although it was still there, I couldn't see anything wrong. Everybody ought to want uh, what I had and all of this. God's holiness produced that in me and in you. But I'm asking a question tonight. Why have we not allowed it to maintain? Because it's a maintainer also. Maintenance is just as important as building. Right. I mean, build a building and 
No maintenance on it, and you can tell that just suppose a building up and walk off from it, don't do anything with it, and, and, and uh, you can see what happens to it. And when God calls us out and says, you're my building and I want to dwell there, and you become his building, there's a maintenance for it that needs to be done. Uh, a caring about that, a taking care of it. And uh, when the paint begins to peel, <laughs> we need to do something about it. When the beauty begins to fade, we need to find out what we can do to establish that beauty. You see, that's the holiness of God in our lives. And we're not influenced. This is what I like. We are not influenced by God's presence from way out there somewhere. Sometimes we worship Him like He's a yo-yo. He goes up and He comes down. When we feel good, He comes down. When we don't feel good, He just leaves us and goes back up. But we don't worship Him from a distance because He dwells in us. Right. He just is real to you when everything is dark as it is when there's daylight every place right. because He's in you. Come on. He'll never leave you. When Jesus stood in the house of God in Jerusalem, He said, I think it's a spectacular statement and I am Sometimes I really didn't get the value of it. He said, in this place is one greater than the temple. And for once, the less contained the greater. <laughs> and I looked at that and I thought, that's still so. That's still so. That temple didn't mean anything. But the greatness, when Jesus came in, the less contained the greater. And the same way when he came into our bodies, hallelujah, the less contains the greater. Amen. Holds the greater. The holiness of God. The Holy Ghost in our lives. Hallelujah. We're nothing but look for the great thing in us. And it's the same way with the church and the building or whatever it comes in, whatever it is, however beautiful it is, it's the less compared to what inhabits it. I like that. Hallelujah. It's greater. Thank God. In the old temple, in the new we have to purify and consecrate it as a place of his habitation. In the old temple, they kept it clean. And at times whenever the, there was a time in Hezekiah's time, I think, when the fires went out and the field was in the holy place, and uh, Hezekiah said, we can't even begin to worship God here until we get this place cleaned up. <laughs> it is just disintegrated. It, it's got all types of stuff in it, and we're going to carry out the field from the holy place, and we're going to light the lamp that's gone out, and then we're going to invite Jesus. That's the same way it is in the world. There's a whole lot of people out there that's allowed the lamps of God's Word to go out in their life. Amen. Amen. Individually, as God's temple, we need to clean it out. We need to get the dross and filth out of it that we've allowed to become part of it. And the part of it is, sometimes we, we get the idea it's just all right. It's just been with us so long. It's become a part of us. But God has never accepted this. No. He's Come been on. lenient toward us. He's been merciful toward us. But he's never accepted that junk and stuff that we mix in there with his temple. That's right. He's never been pleased with this. And what he wants us to do is get it out of there. That's, uh, I think, probably the last day message is to get all of that stuff out of there, purified, consecrated, uh, fall in love with God again. <laughs> you know, fall in love with Him afresh, fall in love with God's people again. And this ought to show in our living. Anytime yes. that we purify ourselves, we ought to have to go around and tell somebody we've purified ourselves and we've consecrated ourselves right. to God. They ought to be able to see it by the life we live. Amen. By our attitudes and the way we do. And in our service to Him. The way we work for Him. Yes. Last? No, it's not last. You thought it was, didn't you? <laughs> it kind of keeps you on the ball. See, we're we're doing fine. I haven't spent an hour. <laughs> Unity. Oh my. Unity. When we read, we don't read of tip poles. Mm -hmm. We read of one tip. And however ecclesiastically that that we might arrange ourselves, God sees but one temple. That's, right. That's the church. That's all he sees. I'm not about to tell you who's in it and who's not in it. 
That, that, that's really God's business, but that, that's all he sees. Unity isn't brought on by negotiation. You cannot negotiate unity and you can't legislate unity. No. If, it, if you could, uh, there'd be a lot of change. But unity is wrought by God alone. God has to do it. How does he do this? Submission to him. Obeying him by one spirit. Are we all baptized into one body? We have nothing to do with making unity. Now we are to know about it. We are to feel it and we are to invince it by worshiping together with joy. Helping and exhorting one another is what we ought to do. Working together for the glory of God and for the good of men. Partaking together of the same cup and of the same bread as members of the body. Guided and led by the Holy Spirit of God. And cheered on by one hope of His calling and His soon coming. Amen. But He Himself, because we are anointed under Him, brings the unity. I could stand here all day long. And I could tell you that you need to negotiate unity, or I could say, okay, you're going to get unity. That's all there is to it. It doesn't do a dime worth of good. God has to bring it. Mm -hmm. And God cannot bring it until we learn how to be under the influence of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Now that's from every direction, not just from mine or from somebody else's. It has to come from every direction. Right. Amen. God has to do it. Yes. And variety. We talked about variety. There's a lot of great courts, a lot of wings, and a lot of towers, and a lot of porticos in the great temple of God. And I think what an awesome thing that must have been, and, and what was the purpose of all these things? You know, when you begin to look at all, all the rooms the temple had, and you begin to wonder, you know, it begins to describe it, and all of his splendor, and you wonder, what, what was all that for? And the new temple might be just as confusing, I suppose, with all the different races and types and backgrounds, but we're dealing with the greatest architect there ever was. An individual that knows the sturdiness of the wood and, and the perfectness of whatever else he puts in, and he knows how to adjust, and he knows how to reconcile the building and he fitly frames it together. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Puts it together. Just to heap stones. We said that before. Just to heap stones together doesn't make a tune. That doesn't make one. Much less heaping of just little groups here and there. Uh, uh, that doesn't make a spiritual temple to God. That doesn't make one. I mean we could get together and we could fill this house and if we can't find out what it means for us to be individually the temple and for us coming together collectively as the temple of God, it doesn't make us a temple. It just makes us a group of people that's meeting together for whatever purpose we might be meeting together. So there's a variety of places assigned to individual Christians. Uh, uh, a lot of different uh, areas that the church world is ignorant of that ought to be. Fivefold ministry, uh, uh, a ministry of helps and there's a ministry of, of uh, intercessory prayer and so many areas uh, of the body of Christ and uh, so many places for individuals to feel and they have never been recognized for a lot and some people don't want anything to do others simply don't know what to do all they do sometimes is come and occupy a pew and and told to sit or to stand or to do this or do that, and they don't really know what room that they occupy, what place does God, God want me or do I really have a place? Mm -hmm. But there's a place for every child of God. Some seem to be pillars uh, with strong columns, and you need this, pillars to support the structures that you build. They had to have strong ones. And others just might be content just to fill a niche someplace in the corner, just not even notice that they're there, but they're doing something, but it's an honor to be anywhere in the spiritual house of God. Amen. Whatever it is, if we clean the house of God, scrub the floors, wash windows, get off someplace and intercede for some soul, or whether we have to occupy a more 
place where you're more out, like standing behind this pulpit, you should never desire to do that. If God tells you to do that, fine, but don't ever pray for it because it's not as easy as you think it is. It's in the front of the battle, you get shot at a lot and you get hit a lot. Right. Amen. You get wounded sometimes unto death. But if you put on the whole armor of God, and I've noticed in the armor there really isn't any in the back. That's where a lot of us get hit at when we turn and run. <laughs> and then we get wounded. <laughs> but if we're facing the enemy, have on the whole armor of God, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. But no, you're not. Now then, I'm going to deal next Thursday night. You see, this I'm leading up to you. I'm, I'm just being kind of gentle. You don't think so, huh? <laughs> But the 17th verse, and I thought God was through with me on the 16th. He said, thank you, Lord. I think I know. He said, I'm not done with you yet. He said, the 17th verse, once you're looking at it, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Mm. And what that is actually saying, I can, I can find it, I can kind of let you know it. The word mar is to injure or ruin. And God is trying to say actually that he'll ruin the ruin of his temple. I would leave with that. Because it's it's a serious thing. What what uh, is happening a lot of places and has happened. Just don't go unpunished. God says vengeance belongs to him, and I'm willing to put it there in the Amen. But you can't injure, mar, or ruin the temple collectively or individually without God touching your life or allowing it to be touched somewhere. And a lot of people don't even realize what's going on in their lives and why. A lot of things are going on in their lives and will go on in their lives because they mar.